Fuck, fuck, fuck. What have we done? Answer me this. Answer me this. Why did you believe what you read in the sun? Answer me this. Answer me this. Helen and Ollie, answer me this. Well, I found out what would finally break my sense of humour, and it was the <laughs> EU referendum. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about, Helen. I think you'll find we've taken back control. That's what's happened. Uh, we all voted to take back control, and that's why we still have the monarchy, the House of Lords, and a uh, Conservative Party membership of 150,000 people choosing our next Prime Minister. Fantastic. Control. <laughs> On the other hand, I'm Secretary of State for Defence, so well done me. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if by the time this podcast comes out, you actually are Shadow Secretary yeah, for yeah, Defence. Yeah. Um, so yes, it's, it's not exactly been a slow news week. And uh, it's very much been a week where I feel like there is an apple-sized lump in my throat that is a scream that cannot come out <laughs> but will not dissipate. I think in fairness, in perspective, in context, this moment, if you listen to this podcast in two years' time... Delightfully retro. What were they all so worried about? Exactly. Fine. Remember we did that podcast about swine flu? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it could, well, it's not going to be like that. It is going to lead... It's going to be much worse, yeah. Okay. Brexit is bad in the short term, I think. Even the people who voted for it can admit that. Yep. I think there is an argument that, you know, in 60 years' time, it might work out better for our country. <laughs> well, but we'll be underwater in 60 years' time anyway. Yeah. The one thing that I found vaguely comforting in this opening of the Hellmouth was <laughs> you listeners getting in touch to say, I turn to answer me this to get me through this time and to drown out the absolute horror assaulting me from every direction. Do you know, it's a lovely thing when people say that they so turn lovely. to us in moments of anxiety. Yeah. And I suppose that just as well uh, applies to national moments of political anxiety as And what ones. do we have to turn to? I, Nothing! I am the great Pilacci! <laughs> Um, well, the, the one thing that I had to turn to on the night of the referendum itself was Barry Manilow. Um, <laughs> at the, at the, 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 the actual time that the results were being counted, I was at the O2 uh, in guestless seats watching Barry sing Could It Be Magic twice, uh, well, once in an up-tempo Take That style. Was that the, the Remain Leave difference? <laughs> uh, and then once again towards the end of the show, uh, in the original ballad style from the 1970s, oh, right as a duet with his young self on a video screen. Live, still an amazing performer, full Vegas band, the whole bit. And it, you feel this incredible sense of unity watching a Barry Manilow concert, because it's young and old, glow sticks in the air, not, not many non-whites in the audience, I must be honest, mm -hmm. but, you know, a unified audience. <laughs> and then, you make it sound like a rally. Um, <laughs> I got, and then I got home, turned on the telly, and uh. Uh, Leave had just edged in front in the referendum yeah. count, and all of Barry's magic dissipated yeah. her name was lola she had seceded <laughs> <laughs> well ollie the leave campaign aren't the only people to have been caught telling lies lately uh, because you lied to me in the last episode yeah, it wasn't deliberate I, di I, I incompetently answered a question that you posed spontaneously when we were trying to work out how many times kelsey grammar had played fraser we'd counted cheers we'd yeah. counted fraser yeah we had not counted wings that's right i sprung wings on you Yes. I was like, there's this other sitcom called Wings. He was and in it once. Yeah, yes. he was in it once. And then I said that, and then I said, I didn't know that sitcom existed. Yes. And then you say, out of the blue, bit of bants. Was that a one series wonder? To which I say, humorous repost, <laughs> it did. No, but why would you say that? Why would not just be like, don't know. I don't know. Don't Helen. know. I don't know. I've been don't racking know. my brain all week. It's okay to appear vulnerable and admit to not knowing something, Ollie. But what you've done yeah. is cast aspersions upon 
the veracity of this show. I've, we I've, spent nine and a half years building up the reputation for total truth. I've shat over the integrity of this as a question-answering platform. You've shat because there were eight series of Wings. They lasted from 1990 to 1997, and there are 172 episodes. So it's a successful sitcom we haven't watched. I, I guess you must have asked the question about whether it had just lasted one series so persuasively, Helen. Did it? Did it? Or did it not last one series? <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> that I felt forced to confess, yeah. not just acquiesce. I did Johnny Cochran you. Um, exactly. Um, but yeah, no, listeners, I feel terrible about this. I misled you. I can only apologise. It was on for seven years. Frasier was only in it once, so that, yeah, that, that, that fact was that right. Remains. Yes, okay. Uh, but uh, I wasn't the only one to step out of line in the last episode. Uh-huh. Uh, Helen, you referred to queening in yes. our last question about Buckingham Palace, yes. um, to describe the daily tasks of Her Majesty. You said, how many rooms does she need for queening? Yeah. Well, several listeners have pointed out that according to Urban Dictionary, uh, queening is actually, it's a British term, apparently, to describe the act of a woman sitting on her subservience face for the majority of the day. That was what I was talking about. That's, <laughs> that is kind of what she does to us as a nation, it's isn't it? It's metaphorical. It's a friendly, voluntary suffocation in her... Corridors of power. Oh, apparently this particular sexual quirk is also known as throning. So it is mm. a very regal thing. It is. I stand by it. I um, stand by it. Hi, Helen Miller. It's Richard here from Bradford. Tim Austin were walking through a field the other day and he asked me what a buttercup was called and I told him it was a buttercup and he asked me why it was called a buttercup. I said, well, obviously, when you hold it under someone's chin, if it goes orange, they're like butter. Hell no, Nolly, answer me this. Where does that story come from and how on earth does that make any sense? Difficult to tell exactly where that story came from because it's an old wives' tale, which I wonder is a misogynistic expression that I shouldn't use. Indeed, and actually inappropriate to this particular thing because it's not so much old wives as young children. This is a playground tale. Not an urban myth, it's more of a suburban and rural myth. Uh, Most people listening to this, I reckon, who grew up in Britain, uh, or or the country we once knew as Britain, uh, will remember being told as a child that if you put a buttercup under your chin... If it goes yellow, that means you like butter. Yeah, that just means you have a greasy chin. So maybe people are inferring that you had more butter grease on your face. Does it? Doesn't it just depend on the way the light reflects? I always knew when I was a child it was bullshit. Yeah. Did it- I mean, now Martin's got a thick beard, so nothing is going to reflect off that. And I really like butter. But is anyone's chin not going to reflect a buttercup? Hmm. Anyone's non-bearded chin? A child's chin is what you're saying. A child's angelic chin. What about like a, a child with a, like a double chin, so the light kind of got caught in the folds? Or, or a non-Caucasian <laughs> child. I mean, I imagine on white skin it's more reflective, isn't yeah. it? Oh, good point. Or slash Chinese skin. And also... But uh, a lot of Chinese people are lactose intolerant, aren't they? That's a good point. Disproves it instantly. <laughs> but buttercups are a more reflective flower than other flowers. They have shinier surfaces. They have uh, two layered petals, and each of the layers reflect light like a mirror. So they're much flashier than other flowers, which is why it doesn't work with other flowers. I think what we're seeing is the conflation of two ideas here, aren't we? We're seeing um, a flower that's buttery coloured being called the buttercup. Yep. And then its reflective properties being reflected back in a, a, a helpful epithet. Yeah. But actually, you know, the two are basically unrelated apart from the fact they've got butter in them. Yeah. And the real point of it was uh, so that if uh, a bee was flying around in the field and a buttercup wanted to attract that bee and not for it to buzz off to one of the other bitch flowers, mm. uh, the buttercup, um, it reflected UV at a frequency that um, insects can see, whereas humans can't. And it would look like it was flashing at the bee. And the bee would be like, yep, go and get that. 
Here's a question from Kelly from Las Vegas, who says, Recently here in Las Vegas, a couple was arrested for having a shag while on a ride on the high roller, which is Las Vegas' answer to the London Eye, yeah. the slowest thing in Vegas. <laughs> a, a large Ferris wheel with pods sort of thing. Yeah, we know what the London Eye is, but thank Not you for clarifying. Not everyone does. She's no, being generous to That's right. Yes, she's there. considering the other listeners. Uh, Ollie answered me this. Which world landmark holds the record for the most committing sex acts in public style arrests? <laughs> so uh, many different facts that you have to work into that answer. Is that even possible? Yeah, well, perhaps unsurprisingly, this isn't documented anywhere. There isn't a Wikipedia list of tourist attractions with the most sex-based arrests. Correct. Uh, uh. And even if you start power Googling around the likely answers, like if you type in sex Eiffel Tower, mm. it's even worse than throning Helen. Uh, <laughs> is, it, is it worse than when we had a question? about pink socks um no it's not worse than that uh apparently eiffel towering i guess to turn it into a verb Mm -hmm. um that's the thing is it is yeah it's when um a lady but i suppose it could be a man a sexual partner Mm -hmm. um is being done by two men uh, but they're high-fiving over their body (laughs) (laughs) that's eiffel towering over the woman's body yes not a dead body so yes do you think there's a whole series of trends where people try and recreate um architectural Icons through the medium of sex. That yeah, would be maybe. great. Pyramiding. The, the, the St. Louis Arch, that would be a classic, yeah. one, wouldn't it? <laughs> the Taj Mahal, that would involve a lot of people. Um, I'm being jolly about this. The guy who was arrested for having sex on the high roller died a few weeks later. Oh. So it's been quite a big story in the US tabloids. Apparently, what happened is he sold the story of him fucking on the high roller to Inside Edition mm-hmm. and then went bragging to his fiancee's strip club where she worked about how much money he earned uh-huh. and then was the victim of a carjacking and they reckon it's because he'd been saying how much cash wow. he had. So yeah, quite so, an unpleasant story really. So, so anyway, hard to find out. One thing that I did see is that Tom Hanks, when he was researching the role of Walt Disney for the movie Saving Mr. Banks... Went and had sex in Sleeping Beauty's <laughs> castle. <laughs> Close. Uh, discovered that the reason that the Skyway ride was discontinued at Disneyland was because too many people were fucking in it. Wow. Yeah. What, what form did that ride take? It's kind of like a monorail, um, but it's in individual pods, so you oh. would just sit with the person you were with. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the crucial thing. I mean, of course, you can find all sorts of pictures of people at it in all sorts of places on the internet now, some of them even on Google Street View. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, generally, when there's a meme for having sex in a public place... It's because it's a place that allows you to have semi-privacy like that. Yeah, whereas the London Eye, there'd be 13 other people in the pod with you. Exactly. That's not going to do it for everybody. Exactly. Some so- people will carry on anyway, and they'll get tutted at. Exactly. So so, <laughs> so it, when, when you look into news stories of people having sex in public, it's mm. often places where they were pretty much alone, or yeah. thought they were alone. Just a few weeks ago, uh, a couple got arrested at the Odeon Printworks in Manchester for doing it during Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. But then maybe they needed something to pass the time. They were bored. Yeah. yeah. So I'd assume that a lot of the world's landmarks that would be obvious candidates for this are too heavily guarded and watched or they are religious places. Like you wouldn't go into a cathedral and do it without some severe repercussions. I've never had a boner in a place of worship. That's just you. Sure, I'm just... A lot of people, that's the only place they can get one (laughs) up. Well, priests. (laughs) Oh, dear. There are also people who, uh, I think it's called objectophilia or object sexualism, who actually have sex with landmarks. Like there was that woman who married the Berlin Wall, the woman who married a roller coaster, because they have to legitimise the sex. They can't just have a casual relationship with the Berlin Wall. Yeah, the thing is, I mean, that is fascinating. I always find that Mm. story fascinating. But presenting it as... 
here's a very small minority of people with fetishes who have an interest in landmarks rather than people. I think that's misleading, really. What you're saying is, here's a very small percentage of people with mental illnesses who have this particular mental illness. Like, you can't actually have sex with a building, can you? That's that's no, but beyond I mean, kooky, isn't it? That's true, but I think getting turned on by the Berlin Wall is not particularly weirder than getting turned on by, like, shoes or, you know, like, leather or gas masks or whatever. Yeah, having sex on the Berlin Wall, but actually having sex with the Berlin Wall or wanting to marry it is a bit yeah, different. Yeah, well, sure. I think it's more unusual because it was a woman who had sex with the Berlin Wall, a man sticking his dick into a fissure in the Berlin Wall. That's not yeah. surprising to so many people. Go, goes all the way back to Pyramus and Thisbe. I think the Berlin Wall, after it was decommissioned, though, because before that, you would get your dick shot off. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a question. Email your question. To answer me, this podcast at googlemail.com Answer me, this podcast at googlemail.com Here's a question from someone who calls herself a student failing her degree so badly that even her MacBook has lost faith. It's the last straw. She says, Ollie, answer me this. How do I become an Apple Store technician or genius bar genius? Okay. Do I need to learn how to hack into important websites and hope I get spotted and headhunted? I think that's probably a bad way to Mm. get noticed. (laughs) Or is it a case of turning up to an interview looking cool in a nonchalant San Francisco nerd kind of way and hoping to be trained up? More like that. You do have to look good in a t-shirt. Also, do they have a coolness code? Not officially. Why is everyone there so cool? Because they're in an Apple store, so it just makes people look cool. It's (laughs) like galleries make art look artistic. (laughs) What happens if they want to employ someone, but they're not a hipster? Uh, okay. There's... I've encountered a lot of employees where, in isolation, they would not seem hipstery. I think that's right, actually. I think there's a lot of people, if you took them out of the Apple t-shirt, put them in different light and start them in Iceland, uh, they'd look <laughs> the... like Iceland employees. The shop, not the country. Well, either, but I meant the shop. It's never t-shirt weather in Iceland, the country. Yeah, good point. <laughs> Unless you're in the Blue Lagoon. I should deal, first of all, with the point that she says, how do I become an Apple store genius or a technician? A lot of people don't realise those are two different things. So the genius bar, are they like the public face of the technicians? Yeah, well, actually, the phrase that I understand that Apple Retail uses is specialist rather than technician Uh and specialist means as it suggests that you specialise in one thing so the specialists tend to for example be very good at um, taking semen out of iPhones or whatever it is. Uh, whereas the, it sounds like you got experience. Whereas the genii is that plural? I'd go geniuses, but Fine. that's because I object to the false Latin plurals. Me too. The geniuses um, they don't specialise, but they are able to fix Macs which, of course, are the most expensive thing that people bring in to be fixed. Okay. So in other words, if you want a job in the Apple Store, apparently, you're best to try and get in first as a specialist and then work your way up to genius. How do you learn how to be a specialist? Like, How do you get experience at that? Well, I mean, you need some technical know-how to be a specialist. Of course, to be one of the people who's just advising people on which phone they should buy or, or which mouse they should buy, um, you don't need particularly much specialist knowledge. What you do need, and this is very, very clear from a lot of documentation that's leaked online, their training manuals and so on, what you do need is a lot of smiley enthusiasm. Uh, it's quite interesting. Clearly what Apple value more than anything else is very enthusiastic customer service, tailored specialised customer service. So what they look for in an interview is they do role play. They, they all sit around in a group. Not like we were all dressed in an animal costume and there's whips or anything. <laughs> no, because they were wearing red and blue t-shirts but anyway. Yeah, but yeah, Apple Store role play. They pretend to be a customer. That's my favourite kind of role play. <laughs> and Tonight, darling, can I be genius? <laughs> what you're I looking don't know whether to get a MacBook Pro or an Air. Oh, it's so for. thin. Oh, USB-C. No, I'm feeling sick now. Head, head compact. And what they're looking for... 
more than in other stores is that you are answering the query of the customer. So if the customer comes in and says, I'm looking for a laptop for word processing and using the internet, you don't sell them the top spec computer. Oh, right. So you're not like the Leave campaign then, Sata, Zing. (laughs) Uh, Whereas, you know, Curry's, for example, they are like the Leave campaign. They right. are all about, you know... Selling you something that isn't what you're getting. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, I understood the satire, Helen. You don't need to labour it. I'm just, just checking that everyone's on board. <laughs> just clarifying. <laughs> um, get Curry's, for example, or Carphone Warehouse or whatever, they incentivise their employees to sell the most expensive thing at maximum profit, even if the customer doesn't need that thing. Might be a good product, but not what they need. Whereas Apple really apparently put this focus on give the customer exactly what they want and really make them feel like they've had a sort of positive life experience. What's extraordinary is that the training takes 14 days um, right. and it's it's sort of brainwashing. It's using all kinds of psychological techniques. It's just like when Jason Bourne gets made into Jason Bourne. Yeah, exactly. And actually, I mean, in a way it's good because it's all about making sure they have excellent customer service and they do. But it means that people are sort of neo-linguistically programmed not to use the words that they naturally would. So a lot of computer specialists, if you went into some hairy-ass market stall with your iPhone, would say, oh yeah, that crashes every time you put it down, it bombs. You can't say those words in an Apple store. You say, oh, it doesn't respond. It doesn't respond. You say... It's withholding affection. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, You can't use the word crash. Uh Uh, You have to say, oh, it appears to have stopped responding, but we can deal with that and make it better. And everything's about trying to make people feel like you've made their lives better. That's their mantra. Like nothing is irretrievable. So there you go. Do, have there been any instances of someone going into the Apple store wearing a red T-shirt and pretending to be an employee and then taking all <laughs> someone's money? I think I've told this story before, but I did once wear an orange fleece to Ikea and I got <laughs> approached so many times. Uh, yeah, it's a good it's a good technique because they you don't even they don't have a cash till, do they? No, nope, they nope. just walk around effectively with iPhones and take your credit card. Which yeah, yeah you're right. So you just it. need one of those little things that plugs into the bottom of an iPhone and a T-shirt. That and... anymore? Do you? Because contactless, yeah. you could probably get a contactless uh, app yeah. that would just take people's money. It's a good idea, Helen. Yeah. I mean, it, obviously, it's a terrible idea that is criminal, and I'm not encouraging it, but it's a bloody good idea. Also, I need to be 15 years younger to pass as an Apple Store <laughs> employee. Actually, of all of us, you're the one who looks most like an Apple yeah. genius. Would you like a mini? It fits right in your bag. Yeah, I think you've got to work so on good. the pate. <laughs> I think actually that would disqualify you, Martin. <laughs> right, it's time to take our intermission, or as they call it in the football, half-time. Ooh, mm. someone's in a sporty mood, which is apt because it's such a sporty time of year, isn't oh, it? isn't it? You can the, feel it in the air, can't the, you? The foot sports and the wimble sports. The wimble balls. It's a perfect time, therefore, to take an intermission clip from the Answer Me This Sports Day album, which is all about sports. So much sports. Sporty, sporty, sportingtons. It's our one-hour special all about sport, and uh, you can buy it on iTunes, on Amazon, and at answermethisstore.com. Answer me this. Why is a boxing ring called a boxing ring when it is clearly a square? Can't fault the logic, though. A lot of the London squares aren't oh, really square. Some of them don't, are rectangular. Don't, don't play with my brain here. What do you mean? It's it not, is a square. It's not in Leicester, though. Yeah, exactly. Stop it, you're blowing my mind. <laughs> Where's the circus at Oxford Circus? Stop it. <laughs> Zero lion tamers there. Yeah. Uh, so where does ring come from then? Well, it used to be fought in a circular ring, uh, well, a, a chalk ring. Well, the round generally is the best way to get a view of anything, isn't it? Oh, yeah, well, it's like theatre in the round, but with people punching faces instead of doing artistic speeches. That's right. I'm sure Sir Alan Akebourne was highly influenced by all the boxing matches that he watched when he decided to do absent friends in the round in Scarborough. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, if you have a question, give us a call with it. You can dial the following number. 
or you can Skype answer me this. And let's find out who's done that. Hi, Helen and Ollie. This is James and Ewan calling from Glastonbury Festival. And we were wondering why Glastonbury Festival is called Glastonbury Festival and not Pilsen Festival when it's in Pilsen. A call right from the muds of Glastonbury Festival last weekend. Yeah, we thought because of the timing of the concert that Barry might be in the legend slot at Glastonbury. Barry? Barry Manilow. Oh, sorry. Remember that? No. Um, But he wasn't. It was ELO, wasn't it? Yes. And for my money... Barry would have been better. Well, More of a crowd sing-along. Yeah. I, know, I know that ELO had some cracking hits, but they're not really a festival band, I don't think. Well, those songs were great. Jeff Lynne is a performer who does not give a shit about putting on a stage performance. I think that's right. You can. He's basically a producer that happens to have a good voice, isn't he? He has the demeanour of someone waiting at a bar for a Guinness's <laughs> head to settle. <laughs> yeah, that is exactly right. That's perfect. And between every song, he just sort of went... Well, this is all right, isn't it? No, except for when he stopped doing that and there was no bands at all. Absolute silence. Yeah. Like, watching on the telly, anyway, I wasn't there. But if you were at Glastonbury watching Jeff Lindsay, I know. Between the songs, it looked like complete silence from yeah. the crowd and the performer. I think by that point on a Sunday afternoon, people are so wet and tired. Yeah. And it was raining on them at that point, wasn't it? And no one was going to beat Adele at the Bants. No, true. I mean, her set was all about the in-between Bants, wasn't it? Was. It? it was basically a comedy set with a few power ballads. <laughs> but I still think uh, he could have made a bit more of an effort. Although I quite like the fact that, you know, once you're at a certain age, you just, just don't care, do you? That, that's our review of the one performance that we saw. Was it? Let's just uh, review what the question was. The question was, <laughs> why is the Glastonbury Festival called the Glastonbury Festival rather than the Pilton Festival? Because Pilton is the village that Worthy Farm is nearest to, whereas Glastonbury is seven miles away. Yeah. Which I don't think is that unusual because Woodstock was called Woodstock even though it was on a farm in Bethel, which is 60 miles from Woodstock. Yeah. Uh, you tend to name a festival after the nearest thing of interest. Well, Shepton Mallet is only three miles from Worthy (laughs) Farm, so... Therefore, uh, I assume that uh, they were tapping into the uh, hippie culture that had grown up around Glastonbury and and that already had a reputation. Yeah, well, Glastonbury has had a reputation for centuries, if not millennia, for... Isn't Glastonbury on a ley line? Yeah, it's on ley lines, if you believe in those. Do you believe in those, Martin, as a scientist? Right, okay. Uh, Of course not. It, it has a lot of ancient history. It has Celtic myths. Joseph of Arimathea apparently took the Holy Grail there after he caught Christ's blood in it. And it has all these Arthurian legends attached to it, except apparently the connection with King Arthur was invented deliberately by some monks in 1184 because they had a financial crisis caused by a big fire in the monastery. Hmm. So presumably they had to increase tourism. Very clever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it very much had that reputation. But the first ever Glastonbury ish festival the first music festival on worthy farm was called the pilton pop blues and folk festival oh, was it? in 1970 but then in 1971 there was the glastonbury fair set up by a man called andrew kerr who had been to the isle of wight festival in 1970 and found it too shambolic and he thought we need a good festival also that is not commercial because he was very into a giving event which sought spiritual awakening and a demonstration against greed And he wanted it to be timed around the solstice. He was very into earth mysteries, so myths and folklore and stuff. And he'd heard that Michael Evis had had the the Pilton Festival. So he asked Michael Evis if he could rent the farm. And that's when they built the pyramid stage as well. They doused the site to see the best place to build it. 
What does that mean? It's like a divining rod thing. They're checking where the mythical water is. Oh, it's more bullshit. Like a, drone, yeah, yeah. like a drone wishbone and it's meant to detect okay. water. Yeah. Do you think Evis really believes in that stuff? No, he doesn't. Because right. um, I read an interview with him where he's talking about Andrew Kerr and his friends approaching him. And he said, I thought it was interesting stuff and they were nice people and they were good fun. But the ley lines and stuff didn't really make a lot of sense to me. And I thought they were slightly off their heads and they were smoking dope. Right. Um, well, that's on brand, isn't it? Yeah, it is now. But Michael Evis doesn't seem to have been that into that. But anyway, um, when Andrew Kerr first went to meet Michael Evis in 1971, he said Glastonbury was the new Jerusalem. And so he wanted him to change the name of the festival to include Glastonbury. Oh, right. So they wanted that association with, with all of that hippie mystical stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. Also, I mean, it, I, I get that it's in Pilton, but I don't think even if it was called Pilton, it would put Pilton on the map. What I mean by that is... Latitude, that's in Suffolk, right? Southwold. It yeah? It's near-ish Southwold, but not that near. Exactly. Now, if I'm going to describe where it is geographically, I'll do exactly what I just said. I'll say it's in Suffolk. Oh, yeah, Southwold. I don't know the name of the farm. It's not important. I think a lot of the residents in and around Pilton are quite pissed off really? by Glastonbury because the roads are really busy for a week. There's a lot of noise. There are a lot more of than dickheads. a week as well because it's all the setting up. Yeah, and people stay there for a long time now. It's basically like Tuesday to Monday. Yeah, also, I I, I guess you can't just uh, bring a giant sand sculpture of David Bowie as Ziggy Stardust up the A5. That's going to take a while. It's going to, yeah. And everything's going to smell of weed and B.O. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Radio 4 is on 24-7, but that's not enough recorded speech for me. So I'll trot off to answer me this podcast.com slash audible and download more for free. Like Lord of the Rings, starring Sir Michael Gordon and Mitchell and Webb, series one to four. Just a minute, Alan Bennett down the line, Ross Noble and the best of BBC News Hour. That sounds awesome. Have you have you got a free audiobook yet to add to your collection? No, I should get one. You bloody should. What should I get? I'd like some non-fiction, please. Shall I have a look now and see what's trending in the non-fiction charts? We've already expressed a preference for comedy actors' memoirs, but maybe I should try something a bit different for my forthcoming trip. Shop Audible... Oh my god, oh. Elon Musk is on there. <laughs> I'm alright for Elon Musk's I memoir. I think that would be... I think, oh, it's not his memoir. It's oh. written by someone else and narrated by someone else. But it is 13 hours and 23 minutes. About Elon Musk. About Elon Musk. Unauthorised Elon Musk. Unabridged, unauthorised Elon Musk. What would be funny is if that unabridged Elon Musk biography was narrated by Elon Musk himself. <laughs> just really sardonically. <laughs> yeah. And just occasionally. Footnote, that didn't happen. Uh, Stephen Fry, More Fool Me. I've not read that book, but I reckon him reading his own memoir would be very nice. Is there Moranifesto on there by Catelyn Moran? Because our friend Joanna Neary narrates that. Oh, yeah, the voice of Bjork. Uh, yeah. on, as our jingles, not, as, not yeah, Bjork's, not actually Bjork's <laughs> voice. Yeah, Bjork, Bjork mostly does her own vocals. Although we can't be sure that that's... <laughs> yeah. She's not it's also been I've Bjork. never seen them in the same room. Uh, yeah, you can get... Um, I mean, you get How to Be a Woman as well, and you can get more anthology. But, but yeah, Moranifesto, want... narrated by Joanna Neary. There yeah, it is. Yeah, I want to hear 13 Joanna hours Neary. and 44 minutes of Joanna Neary. I love spending time with Joanna Neary, so that would be a treat for me. There you go. Uh, can you check if Moby's memoir is on there? Moby... Yeah. Is that also narrated by Jordan Neary? Neary? Oh my god, that'd be an absolute winner. Uh, you search Moby and it gets Moby Dick. Nah. Uh, oh yes, uh, Porcelain, a memoir by Moby, narrated by Moby. Because I'm not interested in Moby's music, but I've heard that memoir is great, so maybe I'll go for that. He had a very turbulent life. Okay. Before he became a very famous man. Uh, there's three ratings, let me just see what people have said. Uh, great, says Adam, not knowing much about Moby other than I liked his music. Right. Different camp to you, Helen. No, well, already you can disregard that review. Uh, it was a great surprise to hear, spelt wrongly, 
uh, hear him talk so honestly about the highs and lows on the lead up to his mainstream success. Highly recommend to all. That includes me. So there you go. Adam says <laughs> all would like that book. I'll like that book then. So there you go. That's you as well, listeners. Okay. Uh, if you'd like your free audiobook, and remember, all you need is an Amazon account. That's all you need to do is sign up, take the free audiobook, and then you can keep it forever and we get money. If you don't have an Amazon account, can you still do it? No, you need to address? register and get an Amazon account. That's okay. It's fine. Who it's doesn't have an Amazon account? What's wrong with you? True. I think you're assigned one at birth now. <laughs> then all you need to do is go to answermethispodcast.com slash audible. Wherever you are in the world. Here's a question from Phil from Sawbridgeworth. Ever been there? No. Where is it? Uh, sort of on the border between Essex and Hertfordshire. It's got a very good antiques market. Noted. Astronaut Tim Peake, uh, I've heard of him, yeah. has recently returned from his six-month stint in space. Stint in space. On his return, <laughs> my dad noted that he doesn't look as though his hair had grown, uh, but that surely cutting hair would cause an almighty problem. As even with gravity, the hair goes everywhere when you cut it. Our next thought then was that hair might not grow in space, or that it might slow the growth. This is why Tim Peake went into space, isn't it? To get us asking the crucial questions about science. <laughs> so, Helen, answer me this. Do astronauts get haircuts in space? Yes. Uh, what? Really? Yeah. Does it like a vacuum cleaner with teeth? Basically, yeah. They attach a hair clipper to their vacuum, and so it sucks the hair as it's being clipped. A lot of them have buzz cuts... Uh, because having hair, it all stands up in zero gravity and I think that gets irritating and it gets everywhere and it gets in your eyes right. uh, so you can't see. Apparently, uh, particularly Russian cosmonauts are trained routinely to give haircuts. Mm. And also they've got a lot of uh, time to fill. It's you- like having a Barbie styling head. But why haven't I seen that footage? Because I've seen a lot of other dicking about in space. I've seen a female astronaut washing her hair, which was long. She showed how that was done and she just had to drip water on it and try and catch the droplets that of course were flying around in the air and then rub it into her hair gravity is such a help isn't it for these things it really is it makes more sense than uh, phil's other suggestion that the hair might not grow in space they haven't done conclusive studies there was an article in the mail so obviously i didn't want to read it um that was well, some did you click the link anyway and then you just like go, i can't read this both yeah <laughs> okay. i can see the top of the sidebar of shame don't look don't look um and it was they'd done some test on three mice and apparently um you get more skin irritations there your hair doesn't grow slower though but it may inhibit growth when you get back or something like that or encourage too much growth okay they just don't know all right they haven't done enough it's not priority experiment it is doesn't it? matter i know all i need to know now so that when i go to space i can get my hair cut here's a great story from jono who wow. says today i bought one brick that is a great story it cost me 38 pence that is extraordinarily good value for a brick. Is it? How much is a brick? I've no idea, but I just assumed since houses are made of bricks and houses are worth half a million pounds, that a brick would be worth more than 38p. Yeah, but you need so many bricks in a house that Appreciate if they were worth that. five quid, then you would your house be very, very expensive. I guess. I just Didn't I you think, think Martin, 38p would be a bit low for Yeah, a I don't think you'd half a million bricks to make a house. How much are bricks on Amazon? Can you buy a, where do you buy a single brick from? Jono says, I can't think of a time I've got more weight for my pennies. <laughs> I love the thought of value. He bought one brick because that's all he needed. Just one. Just one to finish his house. Ollie, answer me this. What is the most weight I could buy for my money? What right. is the heaviest thing you can buy for 38 pence? That's okay. amazing. Yeah, it's a great question, yeah. Well, you've got, I, I think he's got a pretty good deal, yeah. as he suggests. You could maybe get a really dense log. Um, well, oh, old Kendall mint cake that's in a fire sale. <laughs> well, I've I've looked into the weight of an average brick. Yeah, 
Uh, it's 3.5 kilograms. Okay, we've got one downstairs, but it's got three holes in it. That one is not good value for weight because it has the three holes. holes. In. Sure, yeah. why has it got holes in it at all? So that your wall is less heavy, so less likely to bow, but still has the structure. As I say, average brick weighs 3.5 kilograms. <laughs> uh, a 30 kilogram dumbbell, mm-hmm. right, is £8.95 on Amazon. You're still getting more weight for your pennies with the brick exactly so the brick works out as about a third of the price per kilogram right um so that's a pretty good deal the only yeah. thing i could think of because also you've got to factor in the 6.99 postage and packing for a for a dumbbell right <laughs> the, other, the other thing that i can think of is a sandbag the mm-hmm. sandbag is 35p including the sand N- no right but if you had free sand if you went around and filled a sandbag uh-huh. yeah i mean i know your time costs money but if you live in a place where there's sand mm. and you filled a sandbag that costs 35p, technically you've spent less and that could weigh more. If you got a 30-litre uh, a plastic bag and filled it with water, that would be 30 kilos. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And that probably wouldn't cost you very much money. And the water is, I mean, that's almost zero cost. Yeah. I feel like these are skirting the issue, though. You're not really buying weight there. You're buying something with the capacity for that weight. I think John, I was expecting a clever, clever answer, yeah, which I think we've given. Right. How much is uh, three and a half kilos of onions? Just trying to think of a cheap, heavy vegetable. Uh, that would be a lot of onions. Yeah, but he, he wants weight for his money. I think that'll probably be about two pounds. More than thirty-eight p. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn it, you've done well, Jono. <laughs> <laughs> at this competition, that only you want to win. Presumably, if you could get the raw materials of making a brick, mm. that would be cheaper than a brick because it wouldn't involve the labour of making I a see brick. See what you're saying, yes, but that's not an item, is it? Well, you could get some clay. You can buy. Yeah. You can buy clay can if you're you for thirty-eight p. Buy a brick's a, worth of clay. A pot, I bet you can't. If you're a potter. Yeah, but you've got to buy... If you're talking... If you're actually, a potter's merchant. Yeah, but what if you... You've got to buy the kiln, then. No, you just have the clay. I'm not saying you make the brick. I'm saying you just have a load of clay. Right, and that would... I see. So that the constituent be... items of the brick are cheaper than the brick. Yeah, I'm just that's go- what I'm saying. I'm right. just Googling the price of clay. <laughs> Excuse I me. I thought we'd hit a low when we were live audible <laughs> searching. I'm uh, looking at a graph. Stephen Fry reads the price of clay. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound like a saw below. I'm looking at the price of 12.5 kilos of clay. Yeah. How much is that? The cheapest one, Red Smooth, is <laughs> £6.05. That's more expensive than bricks. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. That's funny, isn't it? Yeah. Probably if you buy loads of clay, then it works out but as cheap as But you could just get bit. some bricks and smash them up to make clay. Yeah. I mean, basically, Johnny, you've got a good deal there with your 38p. Bravo. I mean, I'd buy a chocolate bar, but you, you enjoy your brick. <laughs> It's a question line. Oh, two, oh, eight. One, two, three, five, eight. Double seven. Answer me these. Shh. Answer me these. I don't know nothing. Such a palaver. It's a question line. It's a question line. Oh, two, oh, eight, one, two, three, five, eight, double seven. Here's a question from Yana who says, I hate wind chimes. That's an odd thing to hate because even if they're annoying, they're kind of a benevolent sound. Uh, she says, I live in a four story apartment building with windows looking into the yard. Someone on the same side of the building has wind chimes outside on their balcony or porch. It can get very windy, and at night I can hear wind chimes making that awful, 
unrhythmical sound. Ding, 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 ding. It's like the church that never stops ringing. Yeah, some people would say what you can hear is actually the beautiful melodic sound of wind chimes. I'm not a huge fan of wind chimes because during my dad's feng shui phase of the early 90s, they were all (laughs) over our house. Oh, really? Yes. How many did he have? I don't know. It was quite a big house, so I can't remember, but like in most of the rooms. Wow. Because I think like the threshold for Crazy Cat Lady, you know, three. I think more than three wind chimes. No, because feng shui says you have to have them in certain places, Ollie, and also mobiles. But um, I was staying at my friend Lee's house a few weeks ago and... um, I, I thought I was hearing constantly the, like, the tinkling of a little fountain, and then I realised it was wind chimes. Did it make you want to wee? No. Little fountains would make me want to wee, but not wind chimes. Well, exactly. The wind chimes do it at a frequency that does not make you want to wee, so maybe that's the benefit of them. The well, charm Yana, of the water sound without the wing. Well, Yana hates them, Helen. I can tell. She says, the wind chimes are very distracting when I'm trying to fall asleep. So they don't lull you to sleep. That's a shame. Apparently not. Oh. So, Helen, answer me this. Is it okay to ask the neighbour to remove their wind chimes? He or she can put them inside their apartment. Different though, isn't it, from a Feng Shui point of view, as you suggest? Less wind as well. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Uh, I was thinking to put a notice in the elevator, since I don't know which apartment actually owns the wind chimes. Uh, But even if I did know, our security system in the building allows us to go to our own floor, the main floor, or parking. So if the owner of the awful wind chime actually lives on the floor other than mine, I can't even knock on their door and ask face to face, please help. Could throw a brick at the wind chimes. Might take their window out with them. I think the elevator thing's not a bad plan, actually, mm. because even if the person who owns the wind chimes doesn't get in your lift, uh, word will get around the building. Like, mm. can you believe that uptight Yana woman who put the wind chime poster up in the lift? She can't name herself. Um, think you think keep, keep mm. herself off it? Yeah. But you've got to keep away. Oh, you think just completely not, don't put contact details or anything. Just have some consideration for others. I don't think you can write it in that passive-aggressive note way because then I think people don't act. I think maybe you need to sound a little more humble in the plea. But maybe you could pretend, say... Um, my cat has cancer. Yeah, the, 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 <laughs> the frequency in my hearing aid makes the noise untenable. <laughs> you can't just fake a disability, though. Surely They're not going to gonna know. No, they won't. The publicness of this does make me side with Yana. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's not her flat, but it is in her ear space. If they were playing loud music, then it would be a valid complaint to make, wouldn't it? Even if they were out boozing on their roof terrace beyond midnight on a nightly mm. basis... You know, Mm. once or twice a year, you'd be like, fine, it's a barbecue. Yeah, every night, you'd be like, I need to sleep, shut up. For me, it would be worse if it was smells, because you can't get rid of that. So if a neighbour was constantly burning incense or something, Mm. um, that would really bother me. You can't block the smells out, whereas she could put in earplugs or headphones if she's trying to get to sleep, because a lot of people listen to podcasts to make them go to sleep. I find that very odd. Well, I do too, but like, you know, I didn't find the wind chimes thing too odd, so we're all different. Yeah, we are, yeah. That's what we're learning. It's yeah. extraordinary. My son sleeps uh, with a lot of ambient noise. Sleeps like a baby. Um. <laughs> but the womb is noisy, isn't it? But this is the theory. So apparently it's easier for a baby to sleep with background noise. So there's an app you can get that has the sound of a vacuum cleaner. Awesome. It's easier for him to sleep with that than in total silence because yeah. they're used to background noise and that's what reminds them to go to sleep. So I guess some people never lose that. And actually, yeah. even when they're older, they quite like a, a sort of distant hum to be going on to th- feel comforted. I think also a monotonous noise is easier to fall asleep to than quiet and then an irregular noise. Mm. So if you keep the monotonous noise on, the irregular noise is like a car horn or something. You're not going to stick out as much. Yeah, maybe try an ambient noise app, though, to counter it. Yeah. Know. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Answer Me This. But don't vote to leave Answer Me This forever. No, please don't. It was bad enough this time. Uh, We'll be back in two weeks' time, united. 
yes. uh, in our question answering across the nations. Um, oh. <laughs> and if you have a question for us, then all the details about how you can contact us, cost the same wherever you are in Europe, uh, are listed <laughs> on our website. Answermethispodcast.com Oh, that Brexit talk has made me depressed again. The episode was a temporary respite, and now I'm down. Remember as well that you can buy our apps and our albums and... Our first 200 episodes. Yeah, all of that, uh, from our other website, answermethisstore.com And we're on Facebook and Twitter, and uh, you should keep in touch there as well. Nice to hear from you. Also, I just want to remind you that uh, although I'm not making new episodes of The Modern Man at the moment, you can binge to both of the first two series at the moment, and we're back in the autumn. Uh, modern man uk. I'm still making the illusionists and uh, those of you who are now listening to it because I called you dicks a couple of weeks ago good you're, it's real Stockholm syndrome you're yeah. actually specifically appealing now to the kind of listener that wants to be dominated by you that's to discover market. more of your content yeah. yep. there is a niche that's interested in you that likes that of your audience there's a niche that likes to be dominated by you orally Hourly, with an AU. Well, I think podcasting is quite a subdom exercise in that we do what we want and you put up with it. <laughs> no, we're interactive. We're a no. That's the impression you give. Our listeners. Give the impression it's a relationship, but really mm. subdom arrangement. If you'd like to hear a partnership of equals, uh, you can listen to my music podcast, Song by Song, songbysongpodcast dot com. And you can fill your ears with a free audiobook from Audible uh, by clicking on Audible on our website. That's all the housekeeping. So please join us again in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Bye.